Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, May 29th, and this is your FT News Briefing. We're here today to defend free speech from one of the gravest dangers it has faced in American history, frankly. U.S. President Donald Trump has ordered a review that could undermine the legal protections social media companies have enjoyed for decades. And the U.K. is offering a path to citizenship to hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong residents in response to China's national security crackdown. Plus, pharmaceutical group AstraZeneca has been tapped to help develop and manufacture a potential coronavirus vaccine. But it wasn't always so revered for its innovation. DFT's Peggy Hollinger unpacks the company's transformation. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Donald Trump's feud with Twitter came to a head yesterday after the social media site placed a fact-check notice on the U.S. president's tweets earlier this week. Mr. Trump responded by ordering a wide-ranging review of a decades-old law that underpins the way social media companies operate. The FT's Washington correspondent, Kieran Stacey, has more. Well, the executive order would do a number of things, some of which matter more than others. The bits that don't matter too much are various panels and reviews that the president wants to set up, looking at whether social media companies have any kind of anti-conservative bias. Companies like Facebook and Twitter can live with that. The more consequential thing that the president wants to do is to change the law, or at least to clarify the law, as it regards to the legal protections that these companies have. So there is something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. That's the bit of the law that allows Facebook and Twitter to host your comments and not be held legally liable for them. So if I was to post something defamatory on Twitter, for example, it wouldn't be Twitter's fault. They could not be held liable for that. Now, the president particularly complains about this because it gives protection for companies to edit and even to remove bits of content and still enjoy those protections. He wants companies like Facebook and Twitter not to be able to remove content, at least where he thinks that doing so shows any kind of political bias. Now, There is some scope to interpret the law here. The problem that the president faces is there has been about 20 years worth of court rulings on this, which have pretty much all ruled in favor of the social media companies themselves. So if the president wants a clarification of the law now, well, A, it might be a bit too late, and B, it's not necessarily within his power to do so. Now, Kieran, it's it's important to point out, right, that Twitter's CEO, Jack Dorsey, defended Twitter's fact-check notice, but... Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg went on Fox News on Wednesday night and said this. I just believe strongly that Facebook shouldn't be uh, the arbiter of truth of everything that people say online. Um, I think in general, private companies probably shouldn't be, or especially these platform companies, shouldn't be in the position of, of, of doing that. But Mr. Trump's executive order will affect Facebook, too. Will Facebook at some point join Twitter and and possibly other social media sites in a united front, or are their policies just too divided? No, I think their policies at the moment are different as to what they're going to do. I mean, Twitter's not taking any political ad money, for example, whereas Facebook is continuing to do so. Some people are being stricter in their regulation of the content on their platforms than others. Facebook is so far proving the libertarian exceptional case at the fringe, basically trying to allow everything. But that does not stop them acting together when confronted with an existential threat such as whole-scale changes to Section 230. I expect that Facebook, Twitter, 
Google will all come together and either through one of their lobbying organizations or as individual companies will absolutely oppose this and will launch a lawsuit to do so. Hundreds of thousands of Hong Kong residents will have an easier time applying for UK citizenship, a move the British government backed in response to China's national security crackdown on Hong Kong, its former colony. Yesterday, Foreign Secretary Dominic Robb pledged extra visa rights to British National Overseas Passport Holders, or BNO. This applies to the roughly 315,000 Hong Kong residents who were born before the UK handed the territory to Chinese sovereignty in 1997 and were issued the document. Mr. Robb said that anyone with BNO status has the right to stay in the UK for one year. Before, it was just six months. They are also eligible for what he called a pathway to future citizenship. China's national security legislation marks the first time Beijing has introduced a law that imposes criminal penalties into Hong Kong's legal code. In doing so, it bypassed the city's legislature. The UK, US, Australia, and Canada released a rare joint statement yesterday condemning Beijing's legislation. The government said the move would undermine the one-country, two-systems framework put in place during the handover more than 20 years ago. All eyes are on the pharmaceutical industry to produce a coronavirus vaccine. Names like Sanofi, Merck, and Moderna have all raised and sometimes lowered hopes for when a dose might be available and when the economy might get back on track. Another one of those names? AstraZeneca. Last month, Oxford University's world-renowned Jenner Institute chose to partner with the UK drug maker to manufacture and distribute a potentially groundbreaking vaccine. And the Oxford partnership is notable for another reason. It marks the latest success for AstraZeneca and one of the most striking turnaround stories in the industry. This was a company that investors say had um, been run sort of from a commercial perspective. That's the FT's industry editor, Peggy Hollinger previous chief executive, David Brennan, was a, a, an accounting and finance graduate. And one of the criticisms that I heard was that this wasn't really about the R&D and the innovative science. It was about marketing. It was the old pharma model of sell the drugs to the doctors and they'll prescribe them and we'll just make loads of money. Today, AstraZeneca is the UK's most valuable company by market capitalization. Peggy says it all started with a leadership change. When Pascal Sorio was appointed, he came in in uh, late 2012. You know, he's he's a qualified veterinarian, but you know he's a scientist first and foremost. And I think you know Astra had come from a period of, as I said, having a non-scientist in charge. But now you put a scientist in charge at a time when actually the drugs industry and the way it innovates had changed or was changing quite significantly. There was a shift from what they call small molecule drugs, chemically created drugs, to biological drugs. And Pascal came in and he looked at the portfolio that AstraZeneca had. And to the credit of his predecessors, they had spotted that transformation. They had made some important acquisitions, but investors were so annoyed at the price that Astra had paid for these acquisitions, remember it was the time of the biotech boom, that in fact it sort of scared the management of AstraZeneca and they buried the portfolios inside these these companies. Pascal came in, he looked at the portfolio that they had acquired, he looked at the drugs that were being researched that had sort of been mothballed, and he pulled a few of those out because he could tell there was interesting science around these drugs. And he basically said to his researchers, 
I want to develop these things. I think they're interesting. Tell me what you need and I'll give it to you. And I think fundamentally, that's what everybody says, is that once you recognize what the cutting edge science is, you have a better chance of actually developing those blockbuster drugs. So AstraZeneca makes all these changes. How is it now viewed by peers and potential partners? AstraZeneca is on track to come back into the world's top 10 pharmaceutical drug companies by prescription drug sales. And that makes them so much more attractive to partners than it might have been back in 2012, because they now have the scale, they now have the expertise, they are recognized as a world leader in oncology. So if you have an interesting oncology drug, who are you going to go to, to partner? You're going to go to AstraZeneca, aren't you? So they can attract people with interesting science. So, Peggy, what can we draw from AstraZeneca's turnaround? I think that what Astra's turnaround tells you is that you may be down today, but you can certainly come back tomorrow if you make the right decisions, if you make the right investments. No one would have thought back in 2012 that Astra had the resources, the expertise to really make a comeback in the way it did. But it did because it saw the potential of the science and you have to follow the science and you can only go as fast as the science. And that brings us to last month when AstraZeneca announced the coronavirus vaccine development partnership with with Oxford. Not that long ago, though, you might have expected another group, GlaxoSmithKline, to be that partner here. What should we make of that? The announcement of the partnership with Oxford University's Jenner Institute, the world-famous vaccinology center. Well, don't forget that GSK is the world's leading vaccines company by sales. You would expect Oxford's Jenner Institute to go to GSK, but no, they chose Astra. You know, when you're speaking to people, they might think, well, if I'm doing something clean sheet, I may as well go to someone who appears to be more innovative. Astra's presence in the vaccine market is tiny, but they still chose AstraZeneca over GSK, maybe because AstraZeneca appears to be more innovative, more more quick to react, more ready to kind of lay bets in new areas. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik, and we had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.